Hello. Is that not powerful right out of the gate? Westside, it's awesome to be with you. Are you well today? Yeah? Awesome. I want to greet our Speedway friends, our online community, uh, North Sanctuary, and also Pastor Randy, who is sitting by the Sea of Galilee right now. So uh, we all wish we could be with you, buddy. Hey, um, how many of us, as you watch that, could literally just hearken back to a moment in your life, and you might be in it right now, where, proverbially speaking, you're on the inside of the bathroom stall. And it's pretty despairing in there. And you don't know that you want to come out, and even if you did, you wouldn't know exactly how. You ever been in a point in time in your life? Are you in that place right now? And the power of that hand from outside the stall just, just simply reaching out have you ever re re reached out for that hand? Have you ever experienced someone reaching out to you just to say it's gonna be okay right in that moment of your life when you needed it the most? I want you to think about that. Let's just begin, let's just sit in a moment of prayer and, and where are you right now? Let's just take a little bit of an inventory of our lives and Father, we just say this time is yours. We all come, some of us in really like exciting places in our life and others of us, we find ourselves uh, inside that bathroom stall, wondering if there is a way out, if anyone would extend their hand, and what that could actually look like in my life. So this time is yours, Jesus. We trust you. We say you're good and you're loving. You have your very best for our life and for all of creation. And so don't leave us unchanged in this moment, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know the Apostle Paul, believe it or not, we think of him as the superhero. Pastor Randy last week said that short of Jesus, he was the most important figure in all the New Testament, but he had his own bathroom stall moment, you see, because he actually killed Christians, or at least Christians were killed at his order or command. So Paul is carrying some baggage, some regret, and now he's in leadership of the church, and not everyone's on board with that. And so somehow he has to ground his story, his value, and his worth, not on what he used to do, but on who he is and who he's becoming. And I want us just to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's really cool. We just celebrated Easter resurrection weekend all together. It was amazing. We saw a bunch and experienced a bunch of baptisms. It was incredible. And actually, this is where the apostle Paul is going to ground his story in two things. The first is resurrection weekend. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse three. Grab your Westside app, grab your old school Bible, and let's read this. For what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now that's, the, that's what we call Good Friday. That he was buried, and that's what we call Holy Saturday. And that he was raised on the third day, that's Sunday, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's, that's Peter, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to, get this, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one, this is interesting, abnormally born. 
Paul is grounding his story as worth his value in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the first things that he's going to do. But the second is he's going to ground it in something else. Let's read on. Verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Three times, Paul uses this word grace to ground his story, his worth, and his value. Grace is, um, grace is a bit of a ghostly word. It's hard to describe and define. Would you agree? Like, how would you define grace? How would you define grace if you couldn't use all the churchy church words? How would you define it then? It would be a little bit like playing taboo, Right? You know the board game Taboo? Like if this were your card, you were given, given this. You couldn't use unmerited favor. Why? Because truthfully, it doesn't move the needle. It doesn't really get us on that street level understanding. You can't use a word like provenient grace or you can't geek out on the Greek, charis, you know, the, the, what, what Greek is in, uh, grace is in the Greek, sanctifying, forgiveness. And if we added a six, you couldn't use amazing, right? Because it's... <laughs> Maybe a little tired, it's a little rote. Does it really hit you at that ground floor level of what grace is? I remember a few years ago, I was teaching an entire series on grace, like three, four weeks long. And in the middle of it, I get this email from a guy, and he's really complimentary. He's like, Dan, I'm loving this series on grace. It's just incredible. It's I'm so amazing. And he says a few more kind words. And at the end, he says, P.S., by the way, what's grace again? And I'm like, oh, man. But I'm like... That's actually a great question. How do you define grace without dissecting grace? And in the words of Philip Yancey, like, it's a little bit like dissecting a frog. You might learn a few things about the frog, but you have to kill it in the process. And so how do we actually come to this place where we go, grace is like, grace is like the time when, grace feels like, grace sounds like, the texture of grace is like this. And so I sat there. I, 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 I grappled with that email. Like, how would I define it? Until I heard this song. And it's not by a Christian author. It's by, it's by a, a guy in culture. His name is Vance Joy. And um, sometimes the culture outside of our context can actually speak into some of the most sacred things because we're so close to it. But to hear grace notes in our culture uh, and, and they might not even know they're describing it as grace. And I began to hear this song, and the lyrics, here is, I just want you to read these lyrics by Vance Joy. You can go check it out uh, later if you'd like. Hold on, darling. I think he's talking to his wife or someone super close to him. This body is yours. This body is yours and mine. Hold on, my darling. This mess was yours. Now your mess is mine. Your mess is mine. Your mess is mine. And I thought, that's it? That's it? That's grace. We live in a culture that says, you made the mess, clean it up. That's your mess, man. 
We live in a cancel culture. The minute you mess up, whoa, no, step away. But for someone to step in, have you ever just like totally spilled everything on the dinner table, right? And everyone pushes back, ah, you know, go get a sponge, you know? But have you ever had someone just literally get up quietly and start cleaning up your mess? Happened to me years ago in a much uh, more uncouth fashion. I, uh, I played some college baseball and I was on what amounted to a, a recruiting trip. And the coach put me with, uh, as an incoming freshman, he put me with the all-star captain senior. And I was living with him for like three or four days and his family. And one particular night I had stomach issues. And uh, I went to go use the bathroom and the toilet overflowed. Uh-huh. Is this making anyone uncomfortable? <laughs> I hope so, because truthfully, grace is an uncomfortable thing. We don't know how to receive it. We don't want anyone into our mess. And in order to describe it, it has to be pretty messy. And I just remember in that moment, and I'm not mechanical, and so I'm like, what's the knob? I don't know. It's all, all my mess is overflowing. Sorry to be so descriptive, but I don't know how to get to it otherwise. So all I know is to go to the senior captain, all-star of the team. His name is Michael Foster. I'm like, Mike, Mike, I got a mess in here. He comes in, gets on his hands and knees, and starts to mop up my mess. That's not a picture. And by the way, all of our illustrations will not be bathroom related from here on out. I just, I want you to know that. I did, I had the opportunity, a rare opportunity to perform a wedding last night with a young couple. And as they were exchanging their vows, I sat there and I thought, that's what they're saying to one another. For better or for worse, for richer or for poor, until death do us part. What they're really saying to one another, your mess your mess is mine. Your mess is mine. I'll be with you in it. I'll extend the hand underneath the bathroom stall when you most need it. Your mess is mine. And that's what the Apostle Paul is actually saying in this passage. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he's like, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. What he's basically saying is, I was a hot mess. Anyone go, yep, I, yep, that's me. That's how I feel right now. I just feel like I'm on skates right now. I just feel like, man, I'm living that Groundhog's Day existence. I'm, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over and over, and it's like the definition of insanity. I keep expecting different results or things to change, and they just don't, and here I am stuck. And the Apostle Paul is just saying, I, I'm a mess. I was a hot mess, and I don't even deserve I don't deserve all of this. And I wonder how many of us would say that too. You know the word deserve? It just means I don't feel qualified. I don't feel like I'm enough. I don't feel like I belong. And for Paul, he's like, I don't deserve to be a part of this church community. I don't deserve to be a leader because I persecuted Christians. And that is a really, that, that kind of, there's a formula in there. I don't know if you, you caught it. He says, I don't deserve because I blank. And I just wonder how many of us have a little kind of equation where we say, I don't deserve. I don't deserve to walk through the doors of a church. 
I don't deserve to be a part of an A2 community. I don't deserve to experience the love of God. Others might, others, they've got, the, the, yeah, I, it makes sense why that, but me, you see, I think we all kind of hold in our hearts this, what we would define as an unpardonable sin. Everyone else can experience these things, but I don't deserve this because I, and you fill in the blank. Whatever your mind races back to, where you feel the most shame having power over you, you go, yeah, I'm disqualified. Everyone else, they're fine. But for me, there's this thing. And that's why I love what Paul's doing here. That's why I love what God's doing in Paul. Because it, basically, the message is, no matter the mess. So quit comparing. Because you got a guy like Paul who killed Christians. So think about the shame that he might be carrying. Think about the moment when one of the early apostles, his name was Stephen, was stoned to death. And people literally laid their robes at Paul's feet, the dude in charge. It was at his behest that Stephen died. I just wonder if Paul could be haunted from that and just going, what would have happened if Stephen were alive? Where would the church be if that hadn't happened? If I hadn't given orders? I mean, those are things that you could carry for the rest of your life. It could cripple you. And what I love here in the story of Paul, he's going, I was a hot mess. And God's going, no matter the mess. Like, so whatever you fill in the blank, I don't deserve because I fill in the blank. I'm just telling you. God's like, I chose Paul. If you want to play the comparison game, is there anything much more heinous than killing Christians? In our little hierarchy of sin? No. So the message for you and for me is no matter your mess. Jesus says, that mess, it's mine. It's mine. I'll sit with you. I'll take it on. And then we see in the life of Paul and the writings of Paul, greater the mess, greater the impact. Here's the hopeful part about it all. He says, he says this, but by the grace of God, well, actually, let me, let me back up for a second. His whole, his whole case here is like, I should be disqualified because I persecuted the church of God, right? Now, you know what that word persecute is? It's the same word that Paul uses to describe not how he persecutes Christians, but how he pursues Jesus. The word uh, dioko in the Greek basically means hot pursuit, fervent, going after something with great haste. And God sits back and he sees Paul in all of Paul's zeal and passion and quirk and intellectual prowess. And he goes, could you imagine if that guy got hold of me? And if the same Paul with all of his zeal, passion, intellectual prowess and quirks were to actually give his life to me. Because you look in uh, Philippians chapter three, you're gonna see the same word for persecuted Paul's gonna use differently. Chapter three, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. That's the same word for persecute. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Jump one more verse forward. I press on, he says the word again, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's the point. The point is, greater the mess, greater the impact. I think God has this sovereign vision for your life. 
And where you might wanna disqualify yourself, go, I don't belong, I don't deserve because I, God says, no matter the mess, in fact, greater the mess, greater the impact because all the fervor by which you gave yourself to this, even though it was a dead end. I'm gonna step in, I'm gonna say, your mess is mine, I'm gonna do this, whoop, and all of a sudden, with the same passion, could you imagine the impact in your life? if you would simply just reach out and grab the hand that's outside the bathroom stall, the hand of Jesus over you. And that's the Apostle Paul going, and in fact, he says this really interesting phrase. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Isn't that beautiful? I can't help, I don't try to be, I don't wanna be the Greek guy, but this is just too beautiful to not share it. Here's what I am who I am is in the Greek. I me, ho, I me. It's just beautiful, it just sounds cooler that way. Say it with me. I me, ho, I me. One more time. I me, ho, I me. By the grace of God, I am who I am. Now that doesn't mean that he doesn't give his best. No, he's still pressing on. In fact, he goes, I work harder than all the rest, but it was not me, he says but the grace of God that was with me. With me, that's the word soon, this idea that I just don't buy into grace as a theological concept, but actually in the words of one scholar, Kenneth Bailey, grace is a dynamic force in our life. Grace is that thing by which we go, how do I move from being stuck to unstuck? Grace is the thing that actually transforms us from the inside out. When we go down into the waters and we come back up, we're just being baptized in a bucket of grace for the rest of our lives. Grace is this thing that takes hold and changes us from the inside out. I want you to hear from a friend of mine who has been living in this place of the dynamic force of grace. His name is Mark Freeman. He's actually painted our stage art here for today. And uh, I'm gonna ask him to hobble on out. And we'll, we'll hear about uh, why the hobble here in a second. But please welcome Mark Freeman. Right. Well, thanks for dressing up for us today, buddy. <laughs> um, and thank you for our, our stage design and, and your generosity there. But first, let's, let's talk about, uh, about the hobbling. Oh, yeah. So I was saving a family from a burning building. Right. <laughs> I, fell, I fell off a ladder out of an attic. So not a very, uh, not a very dramatic story. I don't know, sounds, sounds dramatic to me, I don't know. But, I thought I sprained but, it, but it was more than that. All right, well, we're glad that you're on the mend. Hey, uh, it was really cool. I um, got a text from you, I think, Thursday night. Yep. And you hadn't seen this Groundhog's Day. We, we called the video that we showed when we kind of began here, uh, the Groundhog's video, you know, just this idea of every day going through the same motions. And uh, you hadn't seen it, you didn't know about that, but you're like, hey, Dan, one more thing I wanna tell you. Really, my life before Jesus was one big Groundhog's Day. So can you just share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I have a, I am just turned 60 in March, and um, my story of grace is about 40 years in the making. That's how long God stuck with me. Uh, 
So uh, <clears throat> my parents divorced in high school, and it wasn't, my story is not their fault. They did the best they could do. But that event sent me on a self-chosen trajectory of uh, running away, if you will, from Jesus altogether, uh, consciously, actually. I actually said the words, love is for fools, and I went out to prove that. So I spent many years um, uh, kind of building up my own ego and not letting God in at all, and um, that involved alcohol, drugs, um, you know, not treating people properly, failed relationships, a lot of brokenness there. And um, through that whole time, I, you know, I was baptized in 2004. That brought me closer to God, but I still wasn't really seeking God. And um, not clearly not a relationship with Jesus, which is what I, where I'm at today. So that Groundhog Day for me culminated with just at the point where every day, spiritually and in my soul, I woke up thinking I got to live another day as me. And that wasn't very pretty, really. And you might not have known it outwardly, but inside I was a zero spiritually, like I was spent. And really, I just came to the end of myself. And that's where Jesus stepped in. So you're, you're in this place of uh, kind of a, a swirl, a mess, yeah. right? You, you begin going even to church, you experience even baptism, and yet... As you've described it to me, there's this sense of kind of being on the fence. Yeah, so I went to another church, been there for 15 years, and I call myself a convenient Christian because for one hour a week I showed up in that seat, but for 26 days and 23 hours it was the Mark show, and that didn't involve seeking Christ or living a life that he would uh, have for me. And uh, in 2019, I received... Not my first DUI, but um, um, as I was being arrested for a, for a DUI, um, God, I mean, I feel blessed that I seek God at a level that I hear from him a lot, um, and I'm open to that, and I want it. And he, I wasn't really looking forward that night, I can tell you that, but it, um, as I got put in that police car, literally, it audibly and through me, God said, Mark! Like, he, it was that way. He said, I'm tired of you wasting the life I gave you. And it, like I am right now, I, I was in that moment, I'd been to jail before, so I knew what that next 12 hours was going to look like, and I was not as afraid of that as I was for the first time in my life, disappointing him and, and not knowing who, what, who he may be to be in him. And given up on the Mark show. So, yeah, I lived for 12 years, I would say, as a Christian, sitting on a fence. One foot in the Mark show and the other foot in whatever amount of Bible or Jesus I would allow in. The problem is that Satan owns the fence. And that's a hell for anybody in that place where you don't fully commit. You're back and forth. One day it's you're doing pretty good. The next day you're back where you are. And I, I think that's just an important, the, we, we all live in this kind of messy middle. We're all on this journey. Not all of us have had this, and I want to come back to it in a moment, this kind of crystallizing word from God. 
um, like the Apostle Paul had. He had a blinding light um, that crashed him to the floor. But um, most of us live a little bit of this circuitous, meandering journey that can include components of a spiritual life. And we're finding our way in that, and we're being found in that. And you were found in the back of uh, a police car. And when you heard that voice, Mark, if we're not careful, it sounds like he was shaming you. So what I'd love is just to hear, what was, what was in the heart of God for you in that moment? It's, it's very interesting because a lot of my, during my life of being around the church, I've always kind of rejected uh, fearing God because it sounds condemning. And I never really adhered to that. I mean, it never really stuck with me. But it, it was the, mo- the, the fear I felt was the most loving fear. Hmm. Like, I can't even put it into words. It, it's like a father just reaching out for his son. Hmm. And uh, I, wasn't, I was more afraid to stay me than to go where he wanted me to go. And that was a journey I just said, I'm in. You got me. I'll spend the rest of my life telling this story. And you're doing it. You're doing it. Praise God. <laughs> um, up until how many years ago you were not um, and actively pursuing a, a modern abstract expressionist, right? Um, that when did you start painting? Uh, well, about five years, well, four and a half years ago, five. backyard barbecue, neighborhood, who's an electrical engineer, very you know, engineer-looking guy, sounding guy, and whatever that means. You mean that affectionately, I right? do, yeah. yeah. Okay. He has a pocket protector, a calculator, but he hands me a business card, which was a beautiful landscape painting, and I go, what's this? He goes, well, I'm, I'm an artist. I said, no, you're an engineer. That doesn't connect. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's what I did for my job. I've been painting for 25 years, and I just casually said, hey, I've wanted to paint my whole life. He said, start tomorrow. And I was like, okay. So I went out and spent $1,000 at Blix, and the rest is history. And um, I knew very quickly this would be my business and my vocation and what it was. It's kind of something I knew I was supposed to do. But, you know, in junior high, I got told, get a, find a, a job. you got to find something. So I shut that in a box and put it away And because artists don't make money, right? I mean, that's what they tell you. Get a predictable thing. Well... I'm done with the predictable things. So. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, uh, this is cool. We're going to show uh, just a little bit of your art here on the screen, one of which is an installment. Uh, it's the bottom picture that Mark uh, did for, for me when I was uh, starting my company and transitioning uh, a few years ago. And it hit me in the last service, Mark, as we were yeah. right here on this stool, that when you engage with me, interviewed me about my heart and vision and and followed up and then what I thought would be one painting ended up being nine paintings Uh, I realized that was a hand underneath my stall in friendship and um, and that's what you essentially are doing with others Um, the mess uh, Jesus would say greater the mess greater the impact and the impact that you were having in so many tell us a little bit about you started with uh Love is for fools, and, and yeah. now now what? That's God for you. So uh, 2019, I paint a lot of big abstract. Like, I like canvas, big canvas. And um, I'm down at my studio 2019 in the summer, and 
Like I said, I communicate clearly with God a lot. So he says, uh, I want you to paint about love. And I said, I actually out loud, I'm ashamed to say it. I said, I'm busy. <laughs> and he was like, what? So needless to say, he didn't let that go. I kept getting this, I want you to paint about love. I want you to paint about love. I ended up printing out the words paint love. It's on my in my studio right now. I got a hat that says paint love. But I still went back to my thing, and he just was relentless. He would not let that go. So then one day, I said, I don't know what you want me to do with this. And he said, I want you to paint love and paint small. I'm like, well, that's exactly opposite of what I like to do. Oh, boy. There's the ego again. So um, uh, this started out as what that is. And this is a series that's called Heartworks. And it was the opposite of what I wanted to do, but it's really what he wanted me to do. So I'm a pretty good follower in that respect. Like if he tells me something, I just do it. But um, Heartworks, I've sold many of them. Um, I've given many away just because I wait for opportunities or, I, or I'm open to opportunities where he'll show me someone and I just give it to him. Strangers, people at the gas station, I mean, I, all kinds of stories. So Heartworks is turning into uh, a fundraising element of my business, which um, I've already contributed to Big Brothers and Big Sisters, and I'm getting ready to do something for Braden's Hope, which is a kids with cancer thing. Mm. But it's a way to ground me in, in Jesus and in that, yeah, I'm an artist, and yeah, I like to paint what I like to paint, but I, it's his work, and mm. I'm going to do what he tells me to do with it. And um, we're looking at some pictures here, a couple of which have been a part of um, a really um, kind of poignant part of your journey with your new bride, Christy, yes. who yes. was diagnosed with cancer in the last couple of years yeah. and on her road to, uh, to recovery and full remission. But um, as part of even in that painful place, giving away hearts to oncologists and nurses and the like. So. My pleasure to do it. Well, Mark, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for offering your story and, and your journey. I'd love to pray for you. Um, so, Jesus, we just say we ask for the um, protection of the Holy Spirit. Anytime that we share of our life and our journey, there will be uh, the enemy who comes in and says, no, you don't deserve to tell your story. No, because of this. And we just, we just build a hedge around uh, your heart and mind, Mark, and we just say thank you for generously offering your story of grace. And we join all of heaven in saying over you, your mess is mine, your mess is mine, as we receive that for ourselves as well. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen. Let's thank Mark Freeman. So I wanna go back just really quickly to that question. Inside the bathroom stall, whatever that is for you. Wondering, do, do I need to clean myself up before I come out? Or maybe I don't even know if I can come out or wanna come out. And the message of the gospel and what Paul rooted himself in was essentially this, that at the cross of Jesus, Jesus cried out your mess, your mess, not their mess, not someone else's like your mess and all of it, no matter the mess, it's mine. And at the tomb, 
Jesus declared, your mess is won. It's won. Victory over it all. It's won. And when he returns, Jesus will pronounce his king. Your mess is gone. No longer even living in the messy middle. That's the story by which we ground ourselves, by which we find ourselves. That's the hand, the hand of heaven that's extended out to you underneath your bathroom stall. And all that's required, all that's needed is simply to take your hand and grab hold and be held. Grab hold and be held.